All right, it's May 19th. It's raining outside in London. Hello, climate change. And we have another podcast conversation for you here on City Centric. This episode, we're joined by Priya Shah from BAME in Property. The conversation centres around the additional burden people of colour or those from marginalised backgrounds face through work stress from the real estate industry and the need to decolonise its behaviours, frameworks and language. This show was made possible by our Patreon subscribers who we thank dearly. If you do enjoy this show and want to support its production and gain access to the Urban Health Council, please head over to patreon.com forward slash centric lab, which is all one word. The link will be in the show notes and help however you can. Now on with the show. Okay, Pab. Uh, Priya, could you kindly introduce yourself, please? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Priya Shah. I'm founder and director of BAME in Property, um, an organisation to help increase more ethnic diversity in the built environment. Um, the organisation is about three and a half years old. Um, it started uh, predominantly as a networking organisation and certainly in its first couple of years pre-COVID, we held some high-profile events across the property and planning industries with the likes of Cushman and Wakefield to Lansec to K&L Gates. Um, and it was great. We had, you know, huge attendance at our events, um, huge attendance of BAME, um, you know, individuals, which was really the whole point, um, allowing them to come and network in a really safe and comfortable space. Um, and obviously then, you know, COVID-19 happened in March 2020. Uh, things really changed for us. We stopped having physical events um, and Bayman Property evolved to provide more strategic advice to the industry within this remit. Um, in June, July last year, we had Black Lives Matter movement really take off across the world. Um, and I'd never been so inundated with emails and queries before. But at that point, um, Again, I further evolved Bayman Property to, yeah, start providing, um, you know, advice to companies, consultancy, lunch and learns, um, taking part in, um, you know, events, um, you know, which were slightly more aligned with making that difference, talking about intersectionality. And yeah, here we are today, you know, still looking at all of those things, but really being that voice in the industry, which isn't just events, but, you know, is 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 trying to make that difference with corporate companies um, and with, you know, not-for-profit organisations as well. Um, in my day-to-day, I'm also a communications consultant. Um, I work in stakeholder engagement and community relations. So a lot of my work really comes hand in hand with Bayman Property. Um, it's really about, you know, having that genuine diverse engagement, um, you know, reaching out to underrepresented groups, utilising, um, you know, different religious and community networks when you're going out and building new developments, um, you know, really taking into consideration their views. I truly believe in participatory development and co-design because that's really how you get the best, um, you know, developments which truly reflect local neighbourhoods. Amazing. Thank you, Priya. Uh, So we're going to have like three core questions that we're going to centre this uh, next 30 minutes or so of conversation around. And um, the the main route is around the inequities of work stress and the impact on those racialized as black, Asian and minority, minority ethnic. And I think we're going to start with almost an experience that uh, both you and I have had. Now, I must preface, I am not from one of those um, backgrounds, uh, but it's we're actually talking about the behavior of an industry and how that has an added work stress. It's the structural inequities of an industry, in particular, the real estate one. Um, obviously, real estate is a huge influencer on our urban health. And so 
around the decolonization of real estate business to business behavior, an experience that both you and I have had is, um, you know, oh, can you come do this talk for us? Or I was really hoping to pick your brains on something. And it's typically from a large incumbent organization to an SME. And there we have a very clear behavior of exploitation that, quite frankly, is rife throughout the industry in this way. And what I want to kind of open up is really a conversation on how you are viewing the need to decolonize the behavior that you we have these almost incumbents that are well come do this talk because you know you'll be around great people and it's like oh come you know come to our benevolent event where we can shower you with maybe meeting someone and you're like hey i have a bill to pay right now it's all well and good you know you want my mind pay the dime is a very simple thing so um Coming to you is quite a, a big question to start with, but how do you see uh, what you're doing or the need or maybe some experience around the need to decolonize the behavior or certainly business to business behavior in the real estate market? Because it is uh, an unjust uh, health, uh, work stress put on people. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's personally one of my big pet peeves is, you know, being asked to speak at an event free or I, I frequently get asked, oh, can I just pick your brains for half an hour? Can I just borrow your time? You know, assuming that all of us have got, you know, endless amounts of time and that we don't have other responsibilities. And I think, you know, the only way this is going to change is if, you know, real estate um, professionals who are going around asking people to speak for free start valuing these individuals as they are the asset. Not, you know, um, you know they, that not the real estate professional themselves are the asset, but, the, but having that speaker is, is the person who is going to bring new ideas and that they are, a, um, you know, a professional and an experienced specialist in their own right. And I think that's what we need to see because what they are bringing to the table is completely different news, um, views, completely different um, lived experiences, something, you know, which can genuinely transform the conversation. So when we start changing that narrative of actually, you know, I am the asset, not you are making, you know, not you are the asset, then, then we can start, you know, um, actually paying speakers for what they deserve. And I think it's really important for um, real estate professionals to realise that, a lot of these people, you know, are genuinely, you know, kind of doing their job, whether it's um, planning, surveying, real estate development. They're not there to, you know, to speak about diversity just because they are an ethnic minority. And I think we need to move away from asking someone to speak about diversity just because they are a different colour. That's not their job. People want to be recognised because they are a specialist in their own right. So again, you know, genuinely giving opportunities to people for their specialism is really, really important. We need to start, um, you know, asking professionals to speak about diversity from, from any background, um, but also actually recognising that if you are asking someone to speak about diversity, then they are probably going to say, you know, one of the biggest inequalities that ethnic minorities or anyone from an underrepresented background faces is, um, you know, uh, different pay scales. And in in order to genuinely um, ensure that they are speaking, um, you know, like, and actually, you know, make, making a difference, you do need to pay them um, for that um, speaking opportunity. So you can't just ask them to speak and not pay them because, you know, frankly, that's just taking the piss. And I do apologise for, uh, for, 
um, for my language, but it's it's basically saying, you know what, you're a specialist, you've got loads of experience, so I just want you to speak for free because I'm going to give you that exposure. Exposure doesn't pay the bills, and that's what we need to move away from. We also need to move away from the fact that ethnic minority people should be the game changers in an organisation when it comes to not just speaking opportunities, but for running diversity groups or putting forward opportunities for diversity in an organisation. They are there to do a job. They should not bear the burden of firstly facing injustices within their career and secondly having to run the show because other people don't understand they should be not correcting other people's unconscious biases you are there to educate yourself do the research um you know go out there and find the resources yourself to understand you know firstly what injustice people are facing and secondly why they deserve to be paid and why they should be paid as well so that that's really how we can start i guess decolonizing all of this as well so yeah, I think, you know, we have to have the confidence as speakers to go out and say, no, I'm not going to speak for you um, because you're not paying me. And I'm not going to speak for you because I don't need that exposure. I don't need that profile raising, go and find someone else. And I think if we all come together and we say that, we should be able to make that difference. Hell yeah. And by the way, swear as much as you want. This is a, a safe space, for, for at least for, for language. Um, I, I think it's a really important point that there's so much guff spoken around ESG, so companies who develop uh, an environmental, social and government strat- governance strategies. And we hear it a lot in real estate, but I find it very amusing how an organization, a company who goes, you know what, we're going to increase our marketing exposure, we want to treat people better, how there isn't a micro fund set up for uh, a large organization to tell its entire staff, by the way, look, if you're engaging with an SME, it does it, any any SME. The opportunity cost of their time is huge, and you know they're probably earning about a quarter of what you are. So any conversation, any engagement, we're setting around X amount of money to make sure that we are at least having a form of equitable conversation and bridging that gap. But do we hear any of that? No. ESG is just stuck on environmental issues for how sustainable a new glass. Uh, refrigeration box can be in the, in the middle of a mm-hmm. city centre. It's like, here, you know, I, I, I find it so contrived, the conversations, and so deceitful uh, around organisations on their respect to other people. But you, you brought up a point which I think was where my next question was kind of going. Uh, when we talked about people coming into the room, and he, here's a statement that I want you to expand on that. I think there is a misnomer that diversity is about, oh, you know, can you come solve our problems? And there's so much guff, again, and I'll use that word, when people say, oh, it's, you know, it's very hard to recruit, um, you know, uh, black people into urban planning. Oh, it's really difficult. And it's like, well, have you actually set up a funnel in which someone would actually believe in the values and the problems that you're trying to solve. That diversity isn't just come solve my problems, that actually different perspectives, different views, different ideas in the boardroom is actually, well, it's about identifying what problems we should solve with the economies of scale and the agency that we have around the topic that we work in, whether it be architecture, real estate development or planning, for example. So is, is this something that you've kind of been broaching as, as BAME and property and understanding that actually we need different value systems introduced? Absolutely. I mean, I always say that 
the way that we talk about real estate, we're just not doing it justice. You know, real estate, property, it's more than bricks and mortar. It's about climate change. It's about social justice. It's about health, as you guys know. It's it's about, you know, um, education. It's absolutely everything. But the way we talk about it is come and become a surveyor or come and become a planner. But we don't actually say how you can genuinely make a difference in your community. I feel like we're missing the point when we speak to people from ethnic minority backgrounds or, or any underrepresented background, when we, you know, when we're trying to encourage them to come into the industry, that this is about them genuinely making a difference in the industry because they know their communities the best. And, you know, actually, if you if you think about a, you know, brownfield site in an inner city, um, you know, area, you know, which has got a huge ethnic minority population, actually it's got a huge black population, you know, asking them to come in, you know, identify what the problem is, is going to be far more beneficial than trying to, you know, have a discussion about, oh, we think that they need this when you've just got a room, you know, full of five white men. And I think that that's really what we need to do. We need to essentially change the conversation to, you know, firstly, do justice to real estate, make it sound more interesting, but also to um, help explain, you know, why people are important in identifying these problems, because it's about, you know, you helping yourself. It's about, you know, trying to transform the communities, trying to change the narrative about the way that we view different, you know, communities in our society. You know, it's, it's, it's not us and them, you know, let's stop othering people. Let's bring them into the conversation. And as you say, make sure that they have their agency to actually make that change so that that's really what I think we need to do as an industry we we need to transform the way that we talk about it and secondly I would say that when we go out and we you know speak to different communities we need to stop imposing our views on them and genuinely you know, have a co-design approach. And I feel like co-design is one of those buzzwords, which is used frequency, kind of like placemaking. Everyone loves that term, placemaking. I'm a placemaker. You're a placemaker. She's a placemaker. But to be honest, you know, what does it actually mean? And, you know, are we actually asking people to, you know, think about what they want to see in their local areas and in their neighbourhoods? And the only way you can do that is by genuinely having that co-design approach and actually, you know, saying to people, you know, what matters to you in your local community? Not would you like to see, you know, 32 bed units? Because that that's not what it's about. And, that, and, and, and this is how we're going to get people coming into our industry is if we actually invite them into the conversation conversation long before the employment process this is this is not about asking them to come and work for us in the industry we've got to change the whole conversation whether it's inputs or outputs that's awesome Priya I think that that last bit when you were talking about not just coming over and working in industry um we have to be specific that for people who have experienced marginalization and are looking for a meaningful outlet to enact justice and also earn a living. Um, they, they, they need to be working in organizations that are going to fully support that journey rather than when you guys were talking about diversity, just simply having a tokenized Brown person to quail the fire of supremacy, right? That supremacy continues to, to happen, but now we have a person of color, so we're okay. Yeah. And also that the person of color is not asked to participate in white supremacy. I think that's um, mm. 
an important thing to pull out because, I mean, we are now part of Centric, but I am definitely unemployable because if I am asked to participate in white supremacy, I say no. (laughs) And that has been a major reason as to why I am not employable. And I wonder how many other people of color feel that way um, and what else that does to a person's mental health to be, to be forced or maybe, you know, maybe they don't do, they, maybe they do it willingly. I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But regardless, it does require mental somersaults of the person of color to perpetuate these things on, on people that look like them. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting point that you've made. And it reminds me of this quote, which is diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance um, by Werner Myers. And to me, it essentially, you know, kind of encompasses what you've just been saying, because I know a lot of people, um, you know, even right now with the, you know, with the conflict going on in Israel and um, Palestine, a lot of people want to openly, you know, talk about what's going on. And if I'm sure if if, if we were in the, in the in the office at the moment, you know, there would be some people who are feeling quiet, um, you know, traumatized by what is going on at the moment because they are from that part of the world, um, you know, but but they don't feel like they can say anything. Um, you know, they might be feeling triggered by, you know, what is happening to their friends and family. But again, if they say anything, how would their colleagues judge them? And I feel like unless you have that culture within a company where you can openly talk about, um, you know, politicized issues, because that's essentially what this is, you know, whether it's a, it is a human rights issue, it's a humanitarian crisis, but it is, you know, encompassed in politics. A lot of people feel like they can't talk about politics within the working environment, unless it's about the politics of that, of, of our own country. So, you know, beyond British politics, no one really seems to be talking about, you know, Israel, Palestine. Um, a few people were talking about Black Lives Matter last year, but after the initial, uh, you know, social media, um, you know, kind of blackout, everyone just stopped talking about it. A few weeks ago, I shared something in a, um, you know, company team's message about, you know, I was feeling really sad about what was happening in India. I still really am, if if I'm honest. And, you know, was was really quite worried about, you know, what was happening to my friends and family out there because of, uh, because of um, COVID-19. And I have to admit that not, not a single person said anything because I feel like with most people in a in a company, if it doesn't affect them, if it's not impacting their day-to-day, they're probably not going to take much notice of it. And I feel like that is the problem when you have not experienced, you know, the um the otherness and the um injustices that a lot of ethnic minority communities have faced, that you just tend to separate yourself from the issues which are happening in the world, whatever it may be. Whereas I feel like ethnic minority communities, it, you know, whether it's impacting them directly or indirectly, can empathize a lot better because they have historically experienced that level of, you know, if if not more, um, injustice. And I feel like we are just better placed to then talk about it, to shout about it, you know, to, you know, um, raise our voices and amplify voices on social media. But we always think, but what if my employer sees this? can I then go out and say this? But internally, you are feeling very triggered by it. But externally, you know that you have to show face and kind of keep that, um, you know, that professional um, appearance. I feel like, you know, 
a lot of people I know from ethnic minority communities are troubled when it comes to, um, you know, uh, worldwide um, events which are taking place, um, you know, often between their kind of personal views and their professional um, appearance, which is required, you know, when you when you join certain companies. And that's why a lot of people on Twitter will say, you know, my views, not my employers. But even then, they won't be sharing their, their, their literal views. There is an expectation to share your company values and to amplify them at every opportunity. Yeah, correct. I mean, that that's a really good line of thinking um, of, again, and then and the ramifications to self-esteem, the ramifications to even feelings of loneliness, um, because the self-esteem and the loneliness issue then are a precursor to feelings of anxiety and depression. And then we, you know, a company will expect the employee to then perform and then go again to another set of performances. Will they say, well, we, you know, the company is now booking people to free gym access. And, and yet that does nothing to quail the mental health issues that can be happening from everything that you just said. And it's also, it can be even more micro than that, that we've lost, well, I say lost, we have pulled away from partnerships where my voice has tried to be silenced, right? That you're just, you're discussing this with a group of, in our case, predominantly white men, white middle-class men. And you're calling the thing the thing to say, if we're going to do this planning exercise or we're going to look at this policy, then we have to say that this is racism and structural racism and how that in itself gets people's backs up where they don't want to use that word or they want to say, can we use another word? And I can't imagine what it must be like being employed and, and calling, you know, almost doing your job, calling the thing, the thing and saying, we need to bring these changes in the industry. And that's what I meant about being then forced to participate in your own injustice. And then you can't get out of it because equally you need that employment. And that cycle Again, it's it's a petri dish or or a pool of ingredients to make people feel less than and diminished, which again has consequences to people's health. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's and it's not just their health and then it impacts their overall work performance. They're then not considered for um, progress or promotion. And it, it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle because you are, you know, impacted mentally, which then, you know, impacts your performance. And then, you know, and then you're watching your, um, you know, often white counterparts progressing because they're not facing the same injustices or they're not thinking about, you know, the same inequalities in the same capacity that you are, who are progressing at a much faster rate. And it can be really, really draining just on your, um, just on your position at work, you do start to value, do I even deserve to be here? And I feel like I have been in that process before I've, where I've thought like that I've been really vocal about fame and property. And, and I do sometimes think, you know, is it, is it impacting my career in stakeholder engagement and community relations? Because on the one hand, I can see that there is 
you know, quite a lot wrong with the way that, you know, that the industry generally engages with communities. I think, you know, it's it's generally been like a tick box exercise. There's, you know, your typical town hall, um, public exhibition or engagement session, but actually genuine stakeholder engagement needs to, you know, do demographic analysis, research, you need to go out there and speak to, you know, you know, members of the community who are actually comfortable with those hard to reach groups. And it's it's far more long-winded than that. But I feel like a lot of developers don't want to go through that long process because they're only thinking about one thing in their head, you know, get planning permission, build units, make profit. And so I think it can be really challenging. And you do sometimes feel like your views are stifled. So I I, I completely agree with that. And it, you know, it 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 does make me question, you know, how am I doing in 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 both my capacities as founder of Bain Property and as a stakeholder engagement consultant, if I wasn't doing either or, where would I be? Um, you know, but obviously I can't think like that because then I then I then think, but I wouldn't have come this far with raising, you know, the issues of um, ethnic minority communities in the industry, and I have come really far with Bayman Property. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's 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 a really interesting conversation. But just to give you another example, last year, um, you know, during Black Lives Matter, a lot of corporate companies, even in the real estate industry, you know, came out with their um, anti-racist responses. They went, um, you know, blackout Tuesday, so on. But a lot of them did not engage with their black colleagues within their companies, actually asking them, are you OK? You know, this must be a really triggering time for you. Do you need some time off? How is your mental health doing? Um, in fact, a lot of them just released that public statement without, you know, checking, would it be okay to do so with their black colleagues? And I think that to me um, is very performative. And I think a lot of companies will continue to be performative without thinking about how those communities and how those particular colleagues, individuals are impacted um, and how it might impact their mental health. I'd almost say it's cowardly. Yeah. I'd say it's cowardly because they ultimately know that they are doing wrong. And and I think there's so much about the lexicon of uh, all of our terminologies, you know, do inner city areas need to be regenerated? I don't think communities want to feel that they need to be regenerated because they, you know, they are lesser that all of a sudden someone else saying, well, I'm bringing in a new cafe. It's a form of regeneration. It's as much rehabilitation. You know, can we remove... Uh, the stress is put upon communities, and I think there's there's so much around this that arguably an industry is yeah they they know they're on the back foot, but they have the power. And I think so much of what you said before and what Araceli brought up is the idea that there's still ownership of people, and I think this is still a need for decolonizing. Is that essentially very white patriarchal businesses mm-hmm. um, own people, and particularly when it comes to the question of owning a someone who's racialized as black asian or minority i think when they own their voice you know and i'll bring up um a friend of ours who um work, works in the built environment sector when i i got angry on twitter as i usually do about something and she sent me a message going thank you very much for doing that i i feel that i can't do that because i'll just be seen as a another angry arab woman and there is just that key point that they're the ownership because the industry would be slightly sort of uh, against it. Her voice is owned. I think that's such a key thing that we need to really break apart in the sector. I don't think it won't happen overnight because arguably mm. there is so much power. And this is where you know, we were talking before about um, information and engaging, but, you know, good democracy. Uh, so that the, the, the relationship you said before about 
the difference between diversity and inclusion. I'd almost say like, you know, good democracy is not just being said, would you like A or B? It's going, well, here's a lot to know about A and here's what we can explain about B, but there's also C. And this level of information is also missing. That's the built environment sector still has, uh, we know. And if you dare to even try and make sense of the planning system and the massive intermediated nature of the built environment, you get lost. You're like a pinball whizzing around a machine in that way. And there again is a form of power. It obscures the ability for someone to go, hey, something's not right. How do I navigate this with a sense of equity? Because you say you're delivering an inclusive environment that's placemaking to create social mobility. But I can't, how do I even understand this? How am I even having a, an equitable conversation with you? So I think there's, you know, I think there's, there's an element of cowardice um, that a lot of business leaders really just need to own up. I don't mm. know. And so, I mean, I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but is there anything that you'd like to, maybe an, uh, an experience or an anecdote on someone you've engaged with through Bayman Property that has just gone, yeah, look, I'm, I'm ready to, you know, we, we're, we're ready to admit that we're wrong. We, uh, you know, where do we start? Almost, and that's not a good enough answer. But I would hope that you're having people coming to you saying, "We're, I need to change. Um, we we need to change." Yeah, I would say um, a lot of the organisations or companies that approach me through payment property are the ones who recognise that they need to do more with regards to diversity and inclusion, which I think is great because I wouldn't expect them to have cracked it. I don't think any company in the real estate sector has cracked it. And I feel like we're all on this, you know, learning curve. We're all learning about new things with regards to DNI every single day. Um, and I think, you know, they're the companies that genuinely want to make a difference. They hold their hands up and say, look, we've only just started ethnicity pay gap reporting. It's on our radar. We started the data collection. Um, you know, we genuinely want to go out to schools and engage with young people, get them interested in real estate and property. They want to change their organisational culture. They're asking me my opinion on, you know, various aspects like unconscious bias training or blind CVs, which I could I could give opinions on and, and speak about forever. And I think, you know, that that's the really important thing is that they are taking the advice that I'm giving them and they are starting to implement it, which I think is 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 really important. So I am seeing companies, you know, who are on that journey and who are starting to make a change. But I think what will really kind of help that change and, you know, start progressing all of us in the industry together is just complete culture changes. So we need to think about the way that we, you know, view DNI, stop, you know, kind of talking about diverse groups. I don't actually like the term diverse groups. You know, what do we actually mean? We're we're talking about people from, you know, underrepresented backgrounds who could be, you know, um uh black women, we could be talking about Muslim women, you know, British Indian women, all of us are diverse, but let's not just use, let's just let's not all just lump us into the term diverse. I think terminology is really, really important. And that's a huge conversation that I that I have with companies is start thinking about what you're saying and how you're saying it and how you want it to be received. Um, secondly, you know, start thinking about your recruitment processes, you know, what what do you actually want to um 
conceal when it when it comes to um, CVs. You know, I would always say hide the education educational institution as opposed to the name because I think your name is more than just the you know name written on your birth certificate. It's your identity. It's your culture. It's your heritage. I would never want my name hidden off a CV if I'm applying to a company. But I don't mind my uh, university being hidden because I think you know that sometimes is what we judge you know, um, future recruits on. It's where they've gone to university and that's when our unconscious bias kicks in. So I think, you know, it's, it's just little things like that. And I've, I've, you know, have started seeing companies making changes within their own organisations, but we've still got a really long way to go to start really decolonizing um, real estate. And I think only when we start seeing you know, greater levels of, you know, women and ethnic minority representation at the senior level. And I mean, quite literally CEOs and directors and executive leadership. That's when we really start to see more change. Yeah. I really want to extract that point that you said of wanting to put your name on it. I mean, uh, Maya Angelou said, has a poem that talks about, you have to say my name and call me by my name and do not Um, take away my name. And, and it also, that is only there to placate white people and the oppression, because if you can't deal with other people's names and that's, what's going to make you be racist, Mm. the problem is on you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you more. Amazing. So Priya, thank you very much for your time. I understand you've got to go. Uh, is there any final comment or a place you'd like to direct people towards or maybe a book or an article that you want to share that um, to help people uh, find either more about you or something, just a point of inspiration that you want to direct people towards? Um, I think for me, um, my final remark will, will always go back to that time that I you know, took a few months out from the working environment. I I took a sabbatical, which I would highly recommend everyone does at some point in their life, where I literally quit my job because um, I was feeling like I couldn't raise my voice within the company. All of the things that we've just been discussing, um, I felt like I wanted to, you know, just be a little bit more free for a few months. Um, And that's why I went traveling. I went to South Africa. I undertook research. I learned about, you know, apartheid and the racial disparities out there, especially with regards to the housing struggle. So that for me was, you know, something which was, you know, truly life changing um, and really opened my eyes to different, you know, ways of working, living, things that I've brought back to what I do with Bain Property in this country. Um, And so, yeah, you know, I would um, encourage people to go out and take a sabbatical if they can, if they've got the financial means to do so and really go out and learn more about yourself. So this is not about, you know, me directing you to something about, you know, me or something to kind of read um, about my website, but this is just for you to ask yourself, you know, is there something that you really enjoy doing in your life, whether it's traveling, whether it's going out to explore another part of the world, um, whether it's a a hobby and ask yourself, is this something which I can take some time out to go and do more to really work on my mental health and to really give me that space to think freely. Awesome. Reassess yourself. Don't be owned by something else. Love it. Bria, thank you very much for your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll speak soon. Thank you so much.